you got Problems that you ought to be concerned with Moolah You don't know how you're supposed to earn it Or what to do with it Or how to keep it You're a freak with a dark shameful secret But you're not the only one Get your hidden financial fears With a blast of sun Now your healing has begun It's Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn Hello, I'm Gabby Dunn And this is Bad With Money A show about finances and feelings Where we don't talk down to you This week, we are doing an episode that I've wanted to do for so long. Uh, It's about tipping, uh, the tips economy, people who work mostly for tips. Uh, We have been long overdue for this episode, um, and it gave me a lot to think about. In the episode, I talked to Barbara Sloan, who is the author of Tipped, uh, a book that is for service industry workers, strippers, restaurant professionals, uh, all kinds of people that traditional financial advice is not made for. Three million people in the United States work mainly for tips, uh, and those are the ones who have reported themselves as working mainly for tips. And yet, I haven't really seen any media geared towards them. So I am absolutely going to be getting this book for people in my life. But uh, tipping itself is a pretty controversial topic. There are a lot of opinions on when you should tip, how much you should tip, um, whether tipping should exist. It seems to be, you know, obviously people always say, oh, but people don't tip in Europe and it's like we should just pay everyone a living wage. And yeah, of course, for sure. In fact, I'll tell you a controversy that occurred before this episode even came out. I mentioned that we might be doing a tipping episode, and I received some DMs that I do want to acknowledge about neurodivergence and tipping. And um, it was from an account that's called Asia2.coach. Someone else sent me the account. And uh, basically, it was somebody asking if I would please include the neurodivergent, autistic, and ADHD perspective on uh, the stress of tipping. And also, of course, in this episode, we absolutely get into the background of why tipping is super problematic, of uh, how it goes back to colonialism. It was not an accident that there's a lot of low pay in the service industry because it definitely has a lot to do with black and brown folks and the histories of anti-blackness and capitalism, which is what this person who messaged me wanted me to address. And I do think that that is super important of me to address. I don't want to say their name on the show, just in case they didn't want me to. But if they do want me to, please write in and I'll and I'll say who you were. Uh, but yes, basically they wanted to alert me to this account, uh, Asia2 Coach, and this person's work on talking about how requiring tips and not paying a living wage is very exploitative. Uh, one thing that did also stick out for me in this critique that this person sent is that uh, it said disabled and or poor people that rely on delivery services shouldn't be manipulated into or required to spend more to get our basic needs met. And I hear that. And I think this is definitely something that is uh, very cross-sectional. You'll hear in this interview that Barbara and I are extremely pro-tipping. And I did want to throw in before we get into that, a little bit of a different perspective. Um, I'm curious to know what you all think about it. I think everybody probably has a ton of different opinions. You know, I had not considered uh, the neurodivergent aspect of it, and I had not considered uh, the disability aspect. So a pretty tangled web of capitalist bullshit. And um, yeah, so I just wanted to make sure that everybody felt heard Um, And that different voices were getting spoken to on this platform because I know that I I feel a responsibility to make sure that this is a bit of a more well-rounded show than maybe another finance show. That being said, Barbara is incredible. My own opinion, I agree entirely with her on tipping. And I hope that this is an episode that provides practical, uh, crucial advice for people who uh, work in an industry where they are mostly paid in tips. And I and I f- deeply feel how ignored you all have been. And I hope that this, this contributes a little bit. And we will do more episodes about this if you guys want. Um, and I, I want to make sure that this is a group of people that is being spoken to here. So thank you so much and give it a listen. Listen. 
So can you tell my audience who you are and what you do? Yeah. So my name is Barbara Sloan. I'm the founder of Tip Finance, and I recently published a book called Tipped, The Life-Changing Guide to Financial Freedom for Waitresses, Bartenders, Strippers, and All Other Service Industry Professionals. So I currently, how most people know me today is I own and operate a women-owned construction company here in Manhattan. Um, But what they don't know is that I spent 20 years in the service industry uh, oftentimes working in tandem with construction jobs, and that you know now I have turned that passion of working in the service industry into helping people who work in the service industry with their money. Yeah. So um, one thing that I thought was really interesting looking into you was uh, you're talking about how a lot of this um, like financial advice, traditional financial advice, is for people that work nine to five jobs, which has kind of been something that we've bumped on on this show a bunch. Even though, uh, like on your website, it says 3 million people in the U.S. live solely or partially on tips. So, like, obviously there was a huge gap in terms of information for people working on tips. Like, why do you think that is? And what sort of stuff was, like, missing that you at first were like, oh, my God, this is just so not applicable? Yeah. Um, So I think when most people think about employment types, they think about the traditional employment type, which is where you work for an employer, the employer gives you your job responsibilities, they pay you, they handle your benefits, you know, and then the other type of employment, which is entrepreneurship or independent contractor consultant, sort of like working for yourself. Um, And people think that those are kind of the only two paths when actuality, in actuality, there's this third type of employment, which is tipped employment. Tipped employees are the only other sector of, of employment that have their own minimum wage, their own Mm -hmm. separate minimum wage, which federally is still $2.13. Insane. How my aha moment kind of came to me in 2013. I had just moved to New York with my spouse and, you know, she and I had moved here with like $700 in our pocket. I got two jobs. The first job was I worked at Coyote Ugly, which is a bar here in New York where you sing and dance on the bar. You hit your patrons. It's a good time. Um, And then the other (laughs) job I got was working on Wall Street for an unregulated market, which if people don't know, it was part trading floor, part independent sales organization that was selling usurious loan products, like loan sharking. Oh. And yeah, it was disgusting. And after six months and the third trader getting shipped off to rehab, I was like, I think I need to go back to construction because the financial services is just not for me. It's super mm-hmm. toxic. It's really bad. Um, and so I left that company and I got a job at the construction company that I now own. I was employee number four at the time. And they tasked me with setting up an HR department and with running the accounting and finance department. And so I had never had HR before as someone who spent majority of my career in the service industry. So this was very fascinating to me. And I was like, oh, well, what does an HR department do? How do they support the lives and financial lives of their employees? Mm-hmm. I'd never had a 401k. I had never had health. I'd had health insurance once, mm-hmm. um, but I hadn't had health insurance for over a decade. And I had never had pre-tax benefits or, you know, PTO. What is PTO? What's a PTO policy? How does that support people? So it was sort of in discovering all of these benefits in the system. And then on the other side, we were working for these really high net worth clients. And I was getting to talk to them about their budgets, people with what seemed like unlimited resources. And I was seeing how they made decisions about their money and it was sort of an aha moment where I was like, oh, it's these three things. It's these systems and benefits. It's this, you know, mindfulness around your money. And it's these, you know, habits that people have that help them build wealth. And these Mm -hmm. are the reasons that myself and my peers were not able to build wealth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So most people who become millionaires in this country do so either through a 401k Mm -hmm. through appreciation of their primary residence. 
Mm-hmm. Both of those are things that are very difficult for people in the service industry to have access to. Yeah, I tried. So I was doing like research on, you know, the history of gratuity, the history of tipping. There's all kinds of different, you know, oh, it came from Tudor England. Oh, it came from Europe. And then people brought it over to the US in order to show that they were part of an aristocracy, different ways and backgrounds. And then, of course, like people talking about how slavery sort of, you know, factored into the history of tipping. And I was like doing all of this research but it sort of became increasingly irrelevant because there's so much going on like right now in terms of like, oh, well, we can't go back and sort of change the way. Like people always want to be like, well, let's like stop, you know, with tipping. Um, But you kind of can't go back and change the way that everything is set up. Why in a more modern sense is this this American thing? Like I feel like it is just like incredibly American to have this. And like why? Is it just they don't want to pay? And so that's just like why it's kept up? No. And I think I love the fact that you brought the history into this. I I have uh, this in the book as well. Tipping is, it it is from a really problematic history. So tipping came about, it, it was popularized after the Civil War and after slaves were freed because employers who ran restaurants and railroads wanted to continue to profit off of the backs of their black, brown, minority, and uneducated workers. Right. And so they used this loophole, which was called tipping, to to exploit their workers because many formerly enslaved people were seeking out work in the railroads and in the service industry. Mm-hmm. So I, what's interesting about that is that railroad workers eventually went on strike and they got benefits and they got included into the current standard minimum wage and people in the service industry did not. And it's not because the employers of these modern day restaurants, bars, and clubs are stingy, evil people from, you know, yesteryear. These industries are really hard businesses to run. They mm-hmm. often would not make it if they had to support an, an HR staff, if they had to have, you know, somebody on staff who is handling compliance for things like health insurance mm-hmm. for 401ks, all of those mm-hmm. things for managing mm-hmm. a proper PTO policy. Some of that is in the fact that, you know, I don't know which comes first in this industry, right? Like there's a lot of turnover in this industry. Would there be a lot less turnover in this industry if there were benefits and there were some HR? A hundred percent there would be, Mm -hmm. right? But I think one of the other aspects of why tipping isn't going anywhere. One, it's the largest private sector employer in the United States. So it's not going anywhere. Two, it's not like you're at a football game and you're all seeing the same game. Every time you go out for a beauty or body service, a transportation event, a meal, a bar, a club, you are having a very unique experience. And I always say this to people, it should feel good to tip because you are getting to participate in that person's livelihood. And most people who enter that industry understand that risk versus reward. They understand like part of my income, (laughs) too much of their income is based on that that performance, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that there are changes that need to happen everywhere. Like there definitely needs to be having bigger conversations at the state, federal, and corporate levels. Um, but also as patrons and people who go to these establishments, we were our worlds were rocked during COVID when we couldn't go see our barber, when we couldn't go to our mm-hmm. restaurants and our clubs. There are intangible elements that these businesses bring to our communities and to ourselves. And we need to understand that we are the keepers of our brothers and sisters and that tipping is part of that fabric and that landscape of looking after these people and that it's our duty. Yeah. I mean, it got really into the idea of classism for me from coming from looking at that history and then um, the way that the history is described in your book. Like, it's so um, classist in this way where you still see uh, a majority of black and brown people working in these sectors. And then uh, also this idea. So my my younger sister has always been a bartender. She's always that's always what she's done. And there's this inherent idea that like this is a stepping stone. And I think potentially for her, because she is a white woman. Right. They're like, so what do you actually want to do? 
What do you really want to do? You know, you don't want to do this. Like, am I right in that? That it's like this sort of classist thing sort of built in from the history and then coming into the now where there's this assumption that certain people are going to be there forever and certain people are like, oh, and and you have a, a different dream, right? Which she doesn't. I mean, maybe she wants to own her own bar. That's like what she thinks about for the future. But like, I find it so toxic when people say to her, like, well, what do you really want to do? I both hate and love this question. Like I one, you know, I, when people are saying, what's your real job? What are you really going to do? Are they poor mannered pricks? Yes, absolutely. But what is behind that question is how do you make your life work with all of these other aspects that I've chased that it mm. appears that you don't have in this job? I think that's mm. what they're really asking in that question. Like, I would do what you would be doing because it looks like a hell of a lot more fun, but I can't make sense of it. So what I'm really asking is how do you make this work? Mm -hmm. And what I think that people who are in our industry, you know, need to understand is that the sentiment behind that is they're concerned. They're concerned that we don't have safety nets in place, which for the most part, they are correct in that assumption. Mm-hmm. right? Tipped workers age into the most economically disadvantaged people in our population. They are twice as likely to be unhoused. Wow. Two thirds of those people are women, right? Mm-hmm. 25% are parents. Um, but it's not just an income problem in these roles. And it's not a stepping stone for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think that one, the industry has bad PR. And two, I think that there's just a lot of shame in this industry as well, because it's perpetuated as this moral or ambition failing on some level. Yes, exactly. And it's so shitty. And that's why people feel like they don't have to tip or something because they're like, well, you're just, you know, your job isn't important, like a doctor or whatever. But like, clearly, as you said, during COVID, we realized that these are very important jobs. Why is it a different minimum wage for service workers that then federal minimum wage and like how is that legal <laughs> <laughs> yeah it started in the 60s um <laughs> i don't know how it's still legal i honestly just it's it's state specific right california yeah. they have a 15 dollar minimum wage there's a great organization called one fair wage that's you know getting these things on the ballots in different states there's a lot of change happening. Um, but it's just at a really slow pace. And unfortunately we just, I don't feel like we have time to wait for that change. And I think that there's a lot of control that we as individuals in this community have the other industry that I know as well as this industry is construction. And in the construction industry, we got an organization called OSHA. And when Mm -hmm. OSHA came about, they started educating the workforce. And when they educated the workforce, they changed They changed how many people were, you know, injured or had workplace deaths and they changed the industry from within. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of my goal is I'm like, we have way more skills than people talk about. We have way more potential. There's a lot of us out there. We as a community can lift each other up and we have a lot of control. And so, yeah, I love to dig into like how people can replace those traditional benefits for themselves. That's what I want to ask. Yeah. So you were talking about that they just don't have these, you know, things available, 401k matching or even an HR department, or they're working largely in cash. So what are, I want to get into, like, what are some things, you know, that would be the equivalent of the advice of like, ask for a raise, cut out a latte, whatever, you know what I mean? Like what, what are some of the equivalent things that people who work largely on tips can do? Yeah. I started listening to personal finance in like 2016 when I had to turn every other form of media off because I just couldn't stomach it. And I was like, I will will just listen to the sweet, soothing sounds of personal finance content. (laughs) And I was shocked that I didn't see anyone who looked or sounded like me. No one Mm -hmm. who had been in this industry. And it was just shocking that the only time that this giant sector of people were being served was in such a predatory way. And so, yeah, that's- Yeah, they're not having, they don't have people on- like money shows to talk about, like they don't have strippers on, they don't have, Mm -hmm. you know, service workers on, they don't have, I mean, even them bringing me on to talk, like 
I'm a freelancer, but I'm not a tipped freelancer. Like it's a completely different thing. So yeah, of course you wouldn't see anything like that. And it's incredible. It's wild. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of overlap between the service industry and sex work. And so I think yes. that's, yeah. And there's a lot of shame in both of those work, in both of those types of employment. And so I think that I think that's part of it is that it's like, just like money, it's one of those shameful topics that nobody talks about and it creates this scarcity mindset. And yeah, so the book is, is it breaks down traditional finance pillars into ways that people in the service industry can adapt and make it work for them. So the first two chapters are largely environmental, right? We talk about how to create boundaries. You're working for the general public. General public is, as we know, awful. Uh, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> they have ways of making you feel small. There's power dynamics at play that are super problematic that you need to learn how to protect yourself against. Um, so it's it's largely talking about the hazards that are in our community and in our industry and how to protect ourselves from those hazards. And then we go into things like how to create a budget or a spending plan. I don't care which term you use, <laughs> but we kind of got to, you know, kind of just do doing some tracking for service industry people. Unlike the two other employment sectors, we don't often track our income and we don't often claim our income. Mm -hmm. And so I would challenge anyone who's not required to know their income or track their income. They probably wouldn't be tracking it either, right? So I don't want people in our industry to feel shamed for that. No one else would do it if they didn't have to. Um, so, you know, sometimes they will just show up to H&R Block and be like, I don't know, how much do you think I made? Or they'll like, you know, throw an arrow at a dart. And the problem with that is one, when you don't know how much you make, you don't know how much power you have. You don't know how much ability you have. You don't know if you're using your money in a way that represents your values. But what and, if you, it changes all the time, you know? Like what if it's you have a week where you're like, wow, my budget said that I was going to make $300 in tips, but I made $200. Yeah. So – I have a whole chapter on budgeting where we talk a lot about how to budget on a fluctuating income, mm -hmm. which is which is a great resource. A lot of it's building in buffers. There's also the you can budget off of your income or you can budget off of your expenses. Sometimes businesses that have a more steady income will budget based off their income. Or if your expenses are more predictable, you will budget off of your expenses. So usually I just start with picking whichever one is more predictable and we go from there. But then sometimes you have to build in buffers as well. And there's like three strategies I have in the book where you can talk about how to build in buffers. But yeah, so deep diving, getting to know your numbers is is very important on the income side as well. And then just the added push of claiming your income because people in our industry, when they don't claim their income, they don't realize how much short-term thinking that is. Your income is used as a marker for how much you will receive in benefits for social security. Oh, or interesting. I really was not, I didn't really like reporting tips. Yeah. And, and oh my gosh, for so many years, same, me neither. But majority of currently retired service industry professionals rely solely on social security. Majority that they got from reporting their tips. Or not. Right. Or so not. most people who are retired right now are relying on Social Security who worked in the service industry, and a good chunk of them did not report their income. So the average payout for 2020 for Social Security for people who were claiming their income in full was $18,000. Okay. And so for people who didn't report their tips, they are not going to get anywhere near that benefit. Mm. And so it, it will be a challenge for those people to live on those benefits if that's what they were counting on, in which yeah. case most of them are because they didn't have HR Sharon automatically signing them up for a 401k. They don't know and, about Roth IRAs. They don't, they don't know, know what they can contribute. They don't want to. It's It's because I think like, at least for me, when I was working uh, on tips or stuff that wasn't reported, I'm like, woo, I have a handful of cash. And that cash is just, I'm just going to use that, you know? And you don't want to report it and you don't want to put it in the bank and you don't want to, like, it, it's just so real in your hand versus like if someone got a paycheck at the end of the week, you know? Mm-hmm. But the other thing that you are ineligible for when you don't claim your income is traditional financing. If you want to jump into that other, you know, the two ways of becoming wealthy in the United States, 401k, your primary residence, if you mm -hmm. want to get into the, the real estate game, you have to have two years of claimed income at a certain price point to yeah. be able to qualify. Otherwise, 
again, you fall prey to usurious rates of, of loans. Yeah. So claiming your income is really important. And um, I I love to have that argument. It's my, (laughs) it's so important. (laughs) So like in terms of retirement, what can you do if you're a tipped worker? If you're a tip worker and you do have a W-2, which means you're getting that like $2.13 or, you know, whatever your state sub-minimum wage is, and you get like a dollar in your paycheck. <laughs> um, oh my God. Let's say you have that W-2 situation. For you, you would start with that Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. But it's important, especially for tipped workers, to understand that you cannot invest more into a retirement account than what you claim in earned income. So let's say that you don't claim $6,000 in earned income. You can't invest $6,000 into your array. Yeah. So there's, there's some important distinctions there, but I do recommend the Roth IRA. If you're somebody who, you know, I, I know people typically don't like to be 1099 when they're in the tipped industry, but I feel like there's a lot of opportunity for people to like hack that. Um, and I'd love to see our community have more strategy conversations about how that could work for us instead of calling the Department of Labor. But if like they how, are, how could it work for you? Well, if you're a 1099, then you're technically a business owner. You can be, you know, I have sex mm. workers. I'm like, that ball gag is a business expense. We're writing that off. Open an LLC. <laughs> you don't oh. even need an LLC. You, can you don't? You can just be a sole prop on your social. Oh. Like, yeah. So, or a DBA doing business ads. Yeah. However you want to set it up, but like you don't even need that. You can just totally be it under an individual. And <laughs> yeah, you can write off all of these things as business expense. Your health insurance can be a business expense, right? So, yeah. Um, People are sleeping on the on the 1099 or under the table situation. I'm I'm a big I'm a big fan of packing that to work yeah. for them. But if you are on a 1099 um, and you are able to set yourself up as a solopreneur, I highly recommend um, a solo 401k because you can just, especially if you're in the industry in a job that you may have a shorter time span. Like let's say that you're a sex worker, or an exotic dancer, and you have mm-hmm. said to yourself, like, oh, I only have 20 years to do this. Right. Like you're going to have bigger years where you're going to be able to put more money into a solo 401k. And then also, if you want to supplement either the Roth IRA or the solo 401k, you have you been using Mint to manage your finances? First, the bad news. Mint is shutting down. Now, good news. There's a better alternative. Monarch Money. Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it. That's right. I use Mint and now I'm using Monarch Money. It is very stressful, confusing and time consuming to manage my finances. I've tried other finance apps. They don't really work. Like, you know, I was very committed to Mint and then I was uh, deeply sad when Mint went away. But now I have tried Monarch. It's so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I mean, I really value a company that is proactively looking at how to make finances easier. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Can you imagine being able to have a budget app with your partner? That is wild. You can see all your finances, you can collaborate on your budget, you can get insights on your cash flow and reoccurring transactions. It's a very easy way to manage a household's finances. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all your tags and categories. Monarch is the most customizable budget app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications and more. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now get an extended 30 day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y slash bad money for your extended 30-day free trial. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Teams buried in manual work, taking forever to close the books. 
Getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, you should know these numbers. 37,025 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. If you have all the information about your business in one place, you can make way better decisions. And this is an unprecedented offer, meaning this is totally worth your time. As someone who runs a business, having all of this together in order to close my books, that would be invaluable. It's a time saver. It's literally the biggest time saver. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. That's netsuite.com slash badwithmoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because when I'm looking to work with someone, I really need to be able to get someone fast. My job works very fast. Podcasts work very fast. And I've actually been looking for an assistant and I don't need to waste time sorting through matches without getting the highest quality person, right? When I'm looking to hire someone, whether that's a grant writer or a musician or something like that, it's very overwhelming because you get a lot of messages, but you're not able to like parse through yourself which ones are actually worth looking at. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash badwithmoney right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash badwithmoney terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now and planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Always have your brokerage accounts. Right. So, like, this is sort of putting money into taking your some of your tips and putting some of that into, like, investments. Mm-hmm. And yep. you can just do that. People don't realize like, so if you have like a 401k or a Roth, you have to then take that money that and invest it in actual things, most likely ETFs or or index funds that are very safe. Um, we have an episode called the boring episode, if you want to go back and listen where we talk about that. 
And then similarly, like if you take a little bit of your money and you put it in like a Fidelity account or something, TD Ameritrade, whatever, and you pick your little stocks, you can also do that. Um, Yeah. Like that requires you to like pick these little stocks. But it's very easy if you just Google like stocks that seem safe. (laughs) Right. So like I always tell people I'm like – Listen, the thing I love about Vanguard, right? They're co-op, they're member-owned, they're like the REI of the brokerage world. Right. And you can call them. Like, you can call them and be like, oh, I'm a first-timer. This feels so icky. I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Can you, like, legit walk me through how to log in, how to set this up, how to connect my bank account, and, like, how do I buy the whole market? How do I buy Mm -hmm. just, like, a little – an ETF of the whole market, like, VTI Mm -hmm. all the way? Um, Mm -hmm. I obviously don't give financial advice because I have zero credentials, but I, yeah, you can call. I've done that and I know it sounds weird, but I've done that. And then I've had the people be like, yeah, we were sort of waiting for you to call. Like you had opened an account and then we were sort of like, next step would be you like call us. And I was like, I didn't know that. <laughs> like, I didn't know that you could just do that. Um, what are some of the most common things that people don't realize that they, that are illegal. Like I know I saw a post on your Instagram about like your employer can't punish you by taking away your tips. Like what are some things that you like really stress people should know are not okay? Yeah. I mean, I think that if more than like 20% of your time is in your establishment and you're not in a way able to make tips, like if your employer has you doing side work, for hours of your shift, like that is not okay. You should not be Uh doing that. You know, you should be in able to make money the majority of the time that you are on a tip shift. So interesting. um, Yeah. Every state is specific also with their laws. So I would straight up Google (laughs) what are the laws for tipped workers in my state. And then, but then what's your recourse? Cause there's no HR and pe- they just, there's such high turnover. They just fire you. Yeah. And it's also not easy to be like, you're the person who controls my schedule and you're the person who controls my shift. But I just don't really think that you're being fair to us with all this side work. Yeah. Like it's not a great system for that. Um, but what I'll say is great right now about the market is that you really have a lot of opportunity to go elsewhere. I think, Mm. you know, bad actors are slowly being weeded out right now. It's really an employer's market for people in the industry. So leave. If your employer is being shady, find somewhere else. You know, you are highly skilled. I think this is another, you know, myth of the industry is that people who work in the service industry, they have no skills. You are put in some really strange positions in this job and you acquire a lot of skills without knowing it. Your social Mm -hmm. skills are strong. Your ability to manage beginning, middle, and end of somebody's experience and transaction, your skills are so strong. So don't downplay how capable you are. Anyone will be lucky to have a service worker. (laughs) You also like – you need to have a skill in in the sense of like you need to know how to dance or you need to make – if you threw me behind the bar at my sister's – I mean I have like a – degree like if you threw me behind a bar at my sister's work I would not know how to make the drinks like I I would simply not know so like and that's part of it is that there's she works at a place where there's a lot of specialty drinks and so you can't just get a new bartender because they have to learn how to make the whatever freaking sour patch kid margarita bullshit like (laughs) and like that and so that is a skill like working all of the knowledge that she has about working in restaurants I don't have that yeah like I can't just start I have a whole chapter. My favorite chapter in this book is about investing. And I love it so much because if you understand, if you can learn cocktails or the basics about cocktails and wine, you can get, you can get investing. Mm -hmm. Everything in this chapter is an analogy to the bar. So if you understand what it's like to work at a bar or be at a bar, you will understand investing by the time you are done with this chapter. Really? What do you mean? Yeah. So if you, I use, I use the bar as an analogy for the brokerage firm. And then I use the barware, which is the glasses, to be representative of the types of brokerage accounts that are offered. Um, And then I use the liquors and the mixers to be representative of either stocks or bonds. We talk about risk portfolios. It's very, very fun. And there's stories 
sprinkled throughout. And I guarantee by the time you're done, you will know more about investing than 90% of this, 90% of this country. (laughs) Um, But one of the reasons I love it is because, you know, wine and investing are very, very similar. You Mm -hmm. can get way into wine. You can get super way into wine. You can talk about regions and tannins and mouthfeel and body and notes, and you can get super into wine, but you don't need to get that into wine in order to have a great wine experience. And the same Mm -hmm. goes with investing. You can learn about futures and Forex and bell curves and, you know, puts and all of those things, but you don't need to, to have a great investing experience. And so if you get wine or you get a bar, you will totally get investing. I, I always say this to people who, who wait tables. If you can ring in a 10 top, you can invest. And I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, perfect. Like, I think that they're, they, I think they're because of stigma and because of classism, people underestimate themselves in these professions. And what about, okay, places where like people don't know that you should tip? Like, you know, I think if you are a hairstylist and you work at a salon, they don't realize that you're sort of renting the chair or like rent, you work for the place. But then similarly, like if you're a masseuse who like doesn't work at a spa, you you go to people's houses, that's like kind of seen as like, oh, you should tip that person like more or something. But like, what are some places that people don't realize they they should be tipping? I always think like housekeeping at a hotel, people don't realize. And then also like, um, I don't know if you still do this. I do it. If someone carries my baggage outside the airport, I give them a dollar. But I don't know if that's like old fashioned. <laughs> like I, I try to say this, tipping should feel good. It should always feel good. So if you're tipping a housekeeper at a hotel, my range that I suggest is between 2 to $5 per day that you're at the hotel. Mm-hmm. If you want to go up from that, awesome. Those people work so hard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I lived in Vegas for a long time. To see the things that happen in hotel rooms, it's appalling. Like, tip those people. They really deserve it. People, I think it helps to understand that tipping is typically reserved for people in beauty and body industries, food and beverage industries, hospitality industries, and transportation industries. So when you think about tipping, you can always say, okay, those are the four industries typically that I'm going to find tipping. And Mm -hmm. then use your best judgment, right? If you are, if your massage therapist is carrying their bed to your home, using gas money, bringing their own lotions, even if they are employed by themselves, they still have to charge market rates. They mm-hmm. should still get a tip for that level of service, mm-hmm. right? I also like to say tip on service, not on product. If you're at a coffee shop and you're getting a prepackaged coffee and a prepackaged item and you go up to the counter and we all have these new iPads and everyone's loving this argument of like, she turned it around. It had all these tipping options and I only got a packaged sandwich. And it's like, you have to be an educated consumer in this situation. And you have right. to say, you know what? I bought product, not service. This is not a situation that requires a tip. And the person on the other side of that transaction knows it. However, if they draw a cat foam face on the top of your coffee and, you know, gave you a pumpkin spice, cherry, fruit loop, you know, frappuccino right. that they could have burned themselves on, then yes, right. please throw that person some money. Yeah. Yeah. Even if they are somebody who's subject to a separate sub-minimum wage, you still know that person is getting a minimum wage and they, you know, throw them a dollar at least. Yeah. Even if they are just giving you like something prepackaged, I feel like they still work. It doesn't matter. It still counts as a transaction. What do you think about those things that give you the option? It must suck because like in the days of like having more cash, you would just throw a dollar. But I often think about how it's like, do you want to tip 15% on this purchase? And I'm like, oh, I do. And I click it. And then after I click it, I see that was 70 cents. And I'm like, oh, I would have given like a dollar. I just didn't realize. Like, is that common? Do you think is that like making things kind of worse? Yeah, I think we're in a transition phase where we're 
establishments are still figuring it out and we're still developing norms and rules surrounding it, right? People will get upset if they walk into a place and the range is 25% to 30% or 35% Mm. versus 15 to 25. And so, yeah, I think we're all still, still figuring out this whole iPad thing. Um, I'll say what I'd like to see more of is making sure that people ask for payment transactions after a service is complete. Sometimes what I'll see is people will ask for that upfront. And I would say the whole point of feeling good about tipping is that you are aware that your service experience was enjoyable mm-hmm. and that, you know, nothing, nothing unusual. I always like to say, unless you get stabbed, spit on or sued during your, your <laughs> experience, you should always be tipping 20%, if not 25, considering COVID was really hard on people. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. you know, I, I think it's good when people develop their own personal tipping policy because it, it helps. Yeah. I mean, it is hard sometimes. Like, how do you ask, you know, like if you're with I guess like in the large sense, right? If you're with like a tattoo artist or a sex worker or something like that, how do you ask like, what do I, should I tip and what do I tip? Or do you just sit like me and Google like tip for? <laughs> I think it's really great to talk to the people who you're engaging their services with. It shows that mm-hmm. you care about them. It shows you care about their livelihood. You know, if you got a bunch of movers and they carried a piano up your five flight, you know, walk up mm-hmm. versus they carried a couple boxes. I think it's really great to have that conversation of like, okay, I know I got a piano. What do you think is a good range for a tip for you guys? Like that was backbreaking work. Um, mm-hmm. And they'll tell you, they'll be like, this is the percentage range that I think is appropriate for that. And then mm-hmm. you also get to use your best judgment based on their response. There was this, I, you posted about it too, but I saw it as well on TikTok. There was this thing of women getting better tips if they wear pigtails? Are there other – and then you kind of had a mixed thing where you were like, yeah, but that that is like a hack you can use. So like what are other hacks like that and how do you feel about those things? I have mixed emotions, right? I'm I'm here for all of those things, but I'm also just like, ew, that's disgusting, right? I know. No one – but we also – you know, I also don't want anyone to feel shame in what they do. Like mm-hmm. if I say you to that, then I'm also saying that to sex workers who do that on the regular. Correct. And Correct. that's part of how they make money. And I think that's totally fine for them. I would say the fact that people associate it with children is the part that bothers me. Um, yeah. But it's hard out there. So utilize whatever data you have found that works for your industry, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you, I remember when we were waiting tables at a job, at a, at a restaurant, sometimes if someone was having a really bad shift, we would walk by them while they were at a table and we'd say happy birthday to that server. And yes, yes. <laughs> you, know, you didn't do it all the time because people would catch on, but if they were having a really brutal day and you were like, oh, they need, they need, they need a little love today. You know, you would do something like that and then their their guests would be like, oh my God, it's your birthday. And you'd be like, yeah. And they would probably throw you a little extra something. And so I think, you know, again, I don't think that's a hack that needs to be used all the time because it gets mm-hmm. abused. Um, but there are little ways that you can optimize your each of your shifts. I have mm-hmm. a chapter about hustling which in the Mm -hmm. nine to five world is super problematic, right? Hustle culture is associated with people profiting off of free labor. In our industry, hustle is self-defined. And so it's about carving out and finding opportunities while you're already on your shift working. And so that hustle would be maybe like, oh, what are things that I have access to that are maybe free that I can add to this experience? You know, Mm -hmm. I was working at a sushi restaurant in Boston and I was waiting on, oh my God, I think it was like John Mayer. Or, right? And I was like, everyone in this town has John Mayer stories, baby. Oh, yeah. And I was like, how can I make this special? And I remember walking him through like our kitchen. And I was like, do you want to see our walking cooler? Like, just to make it random, just to make it memorable. Our chef was not happy, but it was, you know, it's what I got a great tip. Right. (laughs) It's funny, like, industry people that everyone knows. Like, everyone in L.A. knows that Drew Carey tips real well. Like, Mm -hmm. everyone knows that. 
Like, you know who's, who tips well and who doesn't. Um, and I, and I deeply feel that as well. I'm like, no, I never want anyone to think that I don't tip well, which is like part of what I was reading about. Like, it was kind of shitty because it was like this article being like, well, people only tip because they're showing off. And it's like, okay, great. Whatever works. Show off then. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Show off. What? So you were really nice to a service industry person and that's like not completely altruistic on your part. It's to feel good about yourself and to look good in front of other people. Like who cares? Money is money. If you're only returning the shopping cart to its bin at the grocery store because you feel peer pressured to, fine. Whatever works. (laughs) Are there other like tips and stuff? I guess like giving them away is a bad idea. In terms of like, then people know the secrets, you know? What's interesting is that everyone has their own unique opportunities at whatever their establishment is. And then you also have your own unique special gifts and in whatever your type of work is. So mm-hmm. I think trying to find more creative ways to do things is what keeps the job fun and engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I was in this industry for a long time and who I was a beer girl, a shot girl, a, a pole dancer, a fetish worker, a sex worker, a waitress, a cater waiter. Like I have done all of the jobs and mastery was super fun in each of them. Mm-hmm. Like we feel really great when we master our skills, whether it's flinging bottles, which I loved, like people mm-hmm. were always very impressed. So even if it's not like a hack or something that you can, you know, manipulate your mm-hmm. guest with, you can always excel in your skills of entertainment or connection or community building. You know, mm-hmm. one of my favorite things to do when I was running a bar was to introduce people at the bar to each other. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this person I found out does this thing and that's very similar to this thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was one, it made my job a lot easier um, when they were entertaining themselves. Uh, but it, that's also part of the experience. You're enhancing it. Yeah. I don't think it's manipulative. Like I've definitely, when I work in, when I've worked in certain places in the past, like I'll put on, cause I'm from Florida. I can do it. I put on a Southern accent in certain instances so that the person feels like I'm not some like Yankee asshole or like, <laughs> you know, you want to like, you can kind of gauge I mean, a friend of mine was working at Hooters and like they had very strict rules about hair color. Like it needed to be a natural hair color. Um, but then sort of like as time has changed, men like alt girls. So all of a sudden, like now tastes have changed and like she can have sort of funky hair and there are guys that are into it, which is also just like, you know, its own thing. But I yeah. think like carving out your skills or – It is. It is a lot of work. Even like I watch my sister's personality change and people always say like service industry, you know, type stuff. Or in my own life, like, you know, it was interesting. Like whenever I used to do sex work, I would always find that it was it was mostly just kindness. Like these guys just wanted like someone to be like, hi, babe, like nice. Like they just wanted someone to be nice to them. So it really is like performing, but it is like acting almost in both for the bar, being behind the bar and the way that she will turn, will be talking to me one way and then turn around and be, I have a completely different voice with the customer. But you could take that for granted. Like if you're just using these services and you've never actually been behind the scenes in them, like you can just completely miss or take all of that for granted. And that's why people think that they don't have to tip or that's why people think that these jobs are easy. Because they're not realizing that all that goes into it. And like you said, like learning to fling bottles or learning to even the thing of uh, taking shots with the customer. And obviously, like, I don't know if people know, but the bartender shot is water, guys. (laughs) But like not not at Coyote. (laughs) Not at Coyote. Yeah. In some places. I've even seen there was um, an amazing uh, like I love little tricks like this or not even tricks, but like. My uh, ex-boyfriend used to tour with this one stand-up comic. I'm not going to call the person out, but they have a, a – their their persona is someone who's like drunk 
And so like, you know, drinking on stage, having a good time, you know, making a percentage of like trying to get the the people to make, you know, tips or whatever, uh, the servers at the comedy club. And this person would like have this whole rigmarole of like, and their comedy worked because people were like, they're so real. They're drunk, like on stage, you know, they're having fun with us or whatever. And I remember like believing it. And then much later being like, oh, they take the Jack Daniels bottle and it's apple juice. Mm-hmm. And it's all a performance. All and a performance. I love that. And I think people don't realize how much thought and like experience and work is going into things that you as the consumer are meant to feel are just easy. Yeah. I mean, if you look, I, I would, anyone who doesn't understand how hard it is to work behind a bar or in a club, just go and read the comment section of any Facebook post and realize <laughs> that you are going to be talking to all of those people. And how would you feel <laughs> having to talk to all of those people? It's a skill set. It is, it is tough work to have all of those different types of conversations and meet people where they are without losing your mind, right? Mm-hmm. It's really difficult work. I mean, that's the same thing in dance. It's like to make it look effortless. And that's what people in the service industry are skilled at. They make it look mm-hmm. effortless. Yes. So people should be tipping 25 to 35%. That's what you think. What about what about people who are like, I just want people to listen to this and understand that they should tip. Like why – how do we get people who are like, I don't tip to tip? Yeah. I mean, here's – if you don't tip, uh, I don't know what to say. Don't go out and exploit somebody's labor, right? We have mm. terms in this country for what we call it when you force someone to work for free. And that is what you are doing when you go out to a service-based establishment and you don't tip. You are forcing mm. them to work for free. Those people have to pay out. Usually, if you're at a club, they usually have to pay out the house. They have to pay out their security. If you're going Mm -hmm. to a restaurant, they have to pay out a busboard. They have to tip out their bartender. If you're Mm -hmm. going to, you know, I mean, all of these people have other obligations. Your tip Mm -hmm. isn't just going straight into their pocket. There's other things. There's other people that they support as well. So it's Mm -hmm. not just like, oh, this person gave me mediocre service. I'm not going to tip. Like if you get mediocre service and that's your that's how you're balancing the scales is through your tip, which no judgment. Like some people do that. Then 15% is 18%, 20%. Those are the lowest amounts that you can go. Anything else below that, you are taking money from somebody else's pocket. You are robbing them. So yes. if you can't afford to tip, you cannot afford to go out to the establishment. There are a lot of other great ways for you to relax and wind down other than exploiting somebody's labor. You can have a potluck with friends. You can have a picnic. You can buy products at a grocery store, right? Mm -hmm. Like somebody, I remember getting into it again, Facebook argument over like tipping at a ice cream shop. And they were just like, oh, you know, I shouldn't have to tip at an ice cream shop. And I was like, if you feel that way, go to a grocery store and buy your own ice cream. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Scoop it yourself. Mm-hmm. That is the economic way to do that for yourself and not exploit somebody's labor. I'm just getting flashbacks to friends who worked at Cold Stone Creamery and had to sing every time they put a tip in the jar when I were in high school. But it worked. We would all go and make them sing. So mm-hmm. horrible. Um, <laughs> if you could leave like a final parting advice to people who are tipped workers for what's like something they should do right now, what would that be? The The thing that people in the service industry are really great about is talking about the inside, uh, the the income side of the equation. They're really good at talking about how much they make on a shift with their coworker friends. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that those conversations end there. What I'd love to see more is for people in the service industry to talk about how they manage their money. Talk Mm. about, are you investing? Are you saving? What are your long-term goals? What were money memories in your you know, house and your community like for you when you were growing up. We need to take the shame out of money in every industry, but because this industry has been so deprived of this content for so long, it's even more important that they start talking about that. So if there is somebody here who's listening to this podcast, who's in the service industry, you are already miles ahead of your peers, miles. And so you need to become a leader 
and you need to pull other people up with you and start engaging them with conversations and helping to support them with resources. You can get, send them to my website. You can buy this book for them, you know, but you need to start having those conversations. Thank you so much. And where can people find you and, and more of your work? I think you said it a little bit, but. Thank you so much for having me. This is really, <laughs> really fun. I like to be a little bit feisty. And so I appreciate the platform for that. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what we do here. <laughs> uh, people can find me at Tipped Finance on all the socials. I hang out mostly on Instagram. I'm starting to hang out more on TikTok, but that's still pretty uncomfortable mm. for me. Um, <laughs> so at Tipped Finance on all the socials. Also, you can find me at www.tippedfinance.com. I do one-on-one coaching. Um, if you own a restaurant, bar, or club and want me to come do a money talk, I will come do that for your staff because you know that will only help your business. It will keep your employees there for longer and keep them happier and healthier. But if you have a win, oh my gosh, please email me. I love to see service industry people winning and doing well with their money. So yeah, find me there. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please give it a five-star Apple review and listen to it the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word. If you want to say something to me, write in at GabbyIsBadWithMoney at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also leave me a voice memo if you prefer. If you want to send that in to GabbyIsBadWithMoney at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, Discord, TikTok, and Patreon. Links to all of those will be in the description below. Okay, love you. Bye. Done.